Welcome to the Book Hub, an online event space hosted by Luther Seminary. Welcome to the Faith Lead Book Hub, where we explore themes and recent books relevant to growing in faith and leadership. Today's event focuses on starting points for leading change. My name is Leanne Pomrenke. I'm a member of the Faith Lead team, and I will be your host today, co-facilitating with Dwight Shiley, our Vice President of Innovation. We are joined today by Sean Chow, Terry Elton, and Lorenzo Labria, each of whom are deeply involved in aspects of church innovation. However, each of their books uh, comes at it from a slightly different angle. So we are going to hear about faithful innovation from multiple perspectives today. Sean Chow is the associate for 1001 New Worshiping Communities for Training and Leadership Cohorts for the Presbyterian Church PCUSA. Today we are highlighting his book, Rediscovering Vitality, a handbook for church visioning and missioning. Sean, I believe you are specifically going to talk about leading change using appreciative inquiry and asset-based church development. Is that right? <laughs> yes, it is. Thank you for having me. And I'm excited to hear from also the other panelists that'll be speaking as they talk about their book, because as I've got to know them, I'm excited to hear what they have to say. But as we all kind of know, the context of this world is changing that the world that we were in, in pre-pandemic is drastically different. A lot of people were thinking that it was like a blizzard where you expected the, the storm to go away and everything to remain the same. But in actuality is what we've, what we've encountered is a landscape, is not, not a landscape, an ice age where the landscape has drastically changed. And as the ice and glacier has moved back, has receded and changed what everything that we've known. And so we look at over these last few years of what has kind of really happened in the world. We see that social inequities have really risen up. We've seen those that were on the edge of society and just barely getting by paycheck to paycheck prior to the pandemic are now well off the cliff. Here in California, we're paying, we were paying over $6.30 a gallon for gas, which is incredible. And how could you barely make it when it was $3 and now you're having to pay $6? So as we've seen, the context has drastically changed of what is going on. And how does the church really respond to all these changes? We can't merely go back to what it was in 20, early 2020 or 2019 and say everything is going to be the same. And a lot of the questions that we're getting on through our through what I do, a little consulting on the side and through the Presbyterian Church USA is how do we become a vital congregation once again? But a lot of people believe that being a vital congregation revolves around two things. It's the amount of people that are in your pews and the amount of budget it is. But that isn't the measure of what vitality is. But the measure of vitality truly is what are, how are we faithful to what God calls us to do and the community that God has called us to. So we have this place that was, it feels so unsure 
but how do we find who and what we are in this post-pandemic kind of world? And a lot of us sit in our pews and we sit in our chairs and we go, if only we had the resources like the church down the street, then we can truly do what God has called us to do. If only we had that young hip pastor with the ripped jeans, bleached hair, and the young family, everybody will want to come to our church. But we often think we live in that if only mindset, thinking that God's holding something back from us, as opposed to believing that God has blessed us and our churches immensely. And to you really use what God has blessed us with. So I've spent the last few years really kind of bringing all this stuff that we do. So a lot of my work revolves around church planting and how do, how do we start new, innovative, faithful, innovative things out there in the community. And I'm amazed about what people are doing. I go, you're doing what? That is so cool. I would have never thought about that. But yet people are doing all these incredible things and people think, oh, it's only the hip churches or the, or the church plants that are able to do this. But in reality, our churches can make an impact. All our churches can make an impact in, in, the, in our community context. But a lot of the problem is that we, we look at all of our church bulletins talk about our, our mission, what we believe in. And we can talk about all of what it is, but that a pastor created or a committee committed, created years ago, but it's not truly who we are. It says this, we want to be Christ-centered, focused, and be outwardly, but that doesn't necessarily sometimes reflect who God's called us to be as a church or who God has called in that particular church, that we each have our different visions, our different Holy Spirit gifts, and all these different things that are kind of really kind of going on, that God's brought this particular group of people for a real reason. And so what, I, what we've done in creating is, is Appreciative Inquiry talks about the stories of different people and give them a vision. It's a business kind of model of how do, we, how do businesses really vision out for the future. But we haven't used it a whole lot in churches to sit around and tell the story. What we ask, I ask people to do is tell the story of a Holy Spirit moment that you've had in your church. In your church, what is your Holy Spirit moment? And each through that story, we can pull the different things that come from it, whether it's service, it's children, or whatever it might be. But that might be your passion. And then you combine it with another person's story that creates those different in different webs of who and what you are. And then together, you come up with a corporate kind of group of who and what you are as a church. So while your mission statement might say this is who you are, it doesn't necessarily reflect who God has called to that church at the particular moment. As we know in churches, you people come and they kind of go, but we're passionate for the things that God has called us to do individually. How do we get Sam Smith or whoever to be involved in something that doesn't interest them? We need to help them create faithful, innovative places for them to be involved. And so that's what I wrote my book on was how do we create this process, a proto-narrative of really kind of looking at the people that God has called and how do we dream? We don't ask people to dream very often of what the potential of their church could be. Because if we knew that we couldn't fail and God was with us, what would you be doing? What would your church be doing? Oftentimes we're like, oh, I just want a few more people to sit next to me, as opposed to this is what we can do in our neighborhood. And kind of go to the asset-based kind of area, talking about asset-based church development in the if-only kind of mindset, that God's gifted us, our churches, with certain people, skills, 
spiritual gifts and so forth, networks and so forth, that we don't see these as assets of the church. And then if we start to think and write down all the different things that we have in our church, what is possible? Maybe we are using the assets and the gifts that God's given us in the wrong way. Perhaps we need to reallocate for something we've been doing for 150 years to trying this new thing. And so that's what at the exercise that I've kind of created and kind of modified is, is really kind of talking about how do we use the gifts that God's given us and not saying that we are lacking, but that God's given us everything we need. But perhaps we just need to use it in a different way. We're in a time of faithful innovations, what we're really talking about here. And how are we faithful to God when we're holding on to things of the past so tight that we're not willing to let it go to see where God is calling us into this community, into our community and into our context. So I'm really excited about talking about this. And if people want to continue to read my book, get my book or, or email me, we can just talk about this because where's God calling you? in this post-pandemic world to revision and remission and knowing that your church is not lacking, but simply God's blessed you with the particular gifts and how do you use that? Our next uh, panelist is Terry Martinson Elton. She is a professor of leadership, serving as the Dean of Academic Affairs at Luther Seminary. Her teaching and research relate to congregational leadership, faithful innovation, and reimagining faith formation in the midst of 21st century realities. We had in the chat several people talking about children, youth, and family ministry and how it's shrinking or changing. That's what we're going to talk about here today. Terry's 2020 book, Journeying in the Wilderness, Forming Faith in the 21st Century is going to be our guide today. Terry, take it away. Thanks, Leanne. A book called Journeying in the Wilderness that came out in February 2020 is an odd thing. I'm just going to say that out loud. Um, I want to start today with uh, something that I think will, I, I want to make evident what maybe uh, is assumed sometimes is my theory of change. But I have come to describe the way that I talk about uh, leading change, in, especially in ministry, is one that's done through practices, right? So what Sean was talking about, I was thinking of that appreciative inquiry. Those are actually practices, right? That as we do this, we begin to change, right? Um, so I just want to clarify that for me, there are kind of two ways to think of practices. One is practices like in basketball, where you practice on, you know, on Wednesday afternoons for the Friday game, right? The practice is kind of the preparatory, but the game's the real thing. Those aren't the kind of practice or the way of practices that I'm thinking. I'm thinking more like yoga, where um, I, a few years ago, started taking up yoga. It came in handy during the pandemic, something I could do at home, right? Um, where actually doing it is the point, right? You live into this new reality as you do it. So I'm thinking of practices more along the yoga side, right? That as we do them, we are actually forming, transforming, and becoming who God has called us to be or who we are on our faith journey. So I just want to note that. Um, the second thing that I want to do, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to share my screen here because I can just in case you can't only uh, take in everything through my words, that um, for me, I wanna say a couple things. 
this book is about a call for congregations to reimagine. It is a call for faithful innovation around the core thing that we're called to do. Um, it's a contextual approach to forming faith in dynamic environments, which, of course, we have been in. And it calls congregations to do this thing, to steward the future witness to the Christian faith. Um, we have the gift of these long Christian practices that have with, endured for centuries, but we've put them together different at each time and place, all for the sake of for the next generation, for the, pe for the people who have not yet heard the wonderful message um, of the gospel. So that's, our, that's the calling of this book. And, and it's answered by giving people a GPS, a way to, uh, for their own faith journey, a way to navigate these, these dynamic environments and saying that the congregation or the collective community does this by just accompanying each other in this discovery process. So I think it, it falls well with what Sean said and what we're going to hear later about how these things kind of fit together. What I want to focus on um, today is why a practice-centered approach to faith is important and why that needs faithful innovation. Uh, my sense is that we have done really good about creating programs where faith is formed in the building when there's church people gathered on the mission trip or whatever, but we haven't always known, well, what does that mean in my everyday life, in the everyday circumstances, in the good days and the bad days that I have? So I think this practice-centered approach actually helps us say this isn't centered in needing a pastor. It doesn't need the church building, right? It is a way to empower all of us as people of faith to live our faith in our everyday life. And as we do these practices over time, we create a way of life. We create this and discover this Christian way of being. Um, so I want to highlight for you, how do we shift from faith formation that has been kind of packaged in programs to these meaning-making practices. And I talk about three kinds of practices. And these three practices actually, I think, provide a scaffolding, a scaffolding for our life gathered in community, but also scattered in the world and our everyday life for faith to be formed in the way that is in line with this Christian tradition and um, with the gospel. It's a way that informs how we make decisions, how we decide how we're going to spend our time, how, where we're going to give our resources, where we're going to lead. And it transforms our lives. Uh, the gift of grace and the gifts of forgiveness and, and all of those pieces really um, are gifts that we get to live not only together, but in our everyday life. So these three practices fall into three clusters and they are dynamic. And these aren't the only practices, but we're going to go into some sanctuary practices, some campfire practices, and some outpost practices. So here we go. Um, sanctuary practices are those practices that help us focus on God that anchor us as a Christian community that says, yes, you are or not Christian because these are the things that said God shows up, right? For us as Lutherans, I'm an ELCA Lutheran. When we have break bread and, and drink wine and that has been blessed in communion, this makes us the body of Christ, right? That's one of the things that makes us the church. 
And there are also the practices that form a bunch of human beings coming together into actually this body of Christ. So um, sacramental is the way that I talk about these because it's where we uh, live out these practices that we join God in being the body of Christ. Here are some of the practices. These are practices that um, I highlight at the end of each chapter. There's different practices and Leanne is going to, at the end of this, give you a link. All of these practices are in practice guides that are free on my website that you can download and use. So you can, that's probably not good if I want to sell books, I know, but it is good for getting you to use practices. So some of you have heard of dwelling in the word. That's one of the ones that Faith Lead we use a lot and at Luther Seminary. Sacraments are one that we use. But have we ever thought about reflecting on experience together or taking Sabbath as those times in our everyday life where we can actually say this is where we join with God um, to say who are we as God's um, beloved children uh, called to, to live this way of life in the world. So one set of practices are around connecting us around with God and anchoring us as a community. The second set are these relational or incarnational practices that I call campfire. What I love about campfires is like super simple to make. Well, harder when it's wet out. I've been in the Boundary Waters more than once and tried to, you know, light fires in the middle of rain. But they don't require, you know, pastors or people with theological degrees, right? They can happen in our neighborhoods. They can happen. Uh, young people can do them together. People of, of different backgrounds can come together. These are the practices that cultivate meaningful community. These kinds of communities where you can show up and be honest, be broken, that you can invite God into those spaces, knowing that we actually have a God that came in the flesh and lived among us and walked around our neighborhood. And these are the kind of relationships that embody this love that we couldn't do on our own, but that's a gift. So there's these open friendships that say, we're not friends because we have everything in common or we agree. There are these open friendships that God brings us together and allows us to live together alongside I think of Steve in the congregation that I attend, who I have known for a long, long time. And uh, there was a period of time right before the pandemic that um, I would run into Steve after worship and we would just talk. And he had lost his wife um, after a long uh, time with cancer. And I think of that time of, it was just for me to say, Steve, how are you doing? I mean, really? And, and we had the way to really talk about, he didn't have to give me the churchy answer. He could say, it's been a really hard week. Uh, and it's those kinds of friendships. It's the, it's the uh, practice of listening, listening not to change someone's mind, but to just listen to their story and receive the gift of another through listening. Maybe it's through heartache, maybe it's through pain. And then it's also practice of being able to tell our own stories of faith. Why does Jesus make a difference? Or when has the Holy Spirit been felt in your world? Or what about that time in the hospital when there was this miraculous gift of healing from the nurse? And, you, you know, like, where do we talk about that? Sometimes people don't feel like they can share those stories in church, ironically, right? But what, how do we help each other learn to tell and listen 
to each other's stories of faith, the times when faith really mattered and held them through good and bad times. So the second set is around campfire or relational practices. And the last one are outposts or the practices that we do in loving the world, scattered in the world, all the different places that we are. They're the ways that we live in solidarity with our neighbors. And they're the ways that we embody God's love as much in action as in our words. Uh, I'm a Lutheran that loves vocation. I think we have every day a call to love our neighbor, to be the embodied love in the world. So those are a set of practices or even just dwelling in the world. Where might you just sit and see where's the spirit active uh, around you? So out, outpost practices are these missional practices that say we are out in the world being God's love, joining what God is already up to. Um, and doing that amongst difference and, and across a lot of diversity. The last thing that I just want to say is, I believe if we live this set, and th this comes with a lot of ex experimenting of trial and error, of listening and trying some things and wondering how that has helped us be faithful people, that we actually become cruciform communities, communities shaped around the cross that have hope that actually are making meaning of the good, the bad, the days that it's clear where God is and the days that, that it's maybe a little more muddled, right? And we're learning what it means to live abundantly in this way of faith in the world. Our next panelist is Lorenzo Labria. He is the Chief Op Innovation Officer of Virginia Theological Seminary and the executive director of Tri-Tank Experimental Lab. He is responsible for the entire process of development and implementation of experiments for innovation in the Episcopal Church. Lorenzo, there is so much that you could cover, but I believe you are starting today with an introduction to design thinking from your book, How to Try. Indeed. Thank you, Leanne. Uh, yeah, because, you know, Terry was just talking to us about practices and all of us have a way of doing faithful innovation in our churches. But generally, and tell me that this has never happened to you, where someone will say, well, we just throw things at the wall and see what sticks. Right. That's usually how we're doing innovation in churches. It's like, yeah, that seems like 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 we just throw a whole bunch of things and see what works. It's like, ah. Maybe there's a better way of doing that. Maybe there's something else that doesn't seem such as wasteful, like we just keep trying things. And sometimes it feels like it's our head up against the walls as we just keep trying and trying and nothing seems to be working. So when we started TriTank, we decided to look around as like, can we find a framework? Can we find some sort of way that we can frame our experiments around so that we understand and there's a model that we, that we follow this framework so that we're always sort of doing it in a systematic way. And we did, we came up with design thinking and it's worked really well for us from, we, we've created an Alexa speaker sort of app that you can pray the daily office with. We, you know, uh, we, we have a digital collection plate where people can just tap with their credit cards. We've done all sorts of fun things that way, but design thinking, if I were to talk to you about design thinking today, you'd be like, there's, <laughs> there, I actually have the design thinking Bible and it's something like 500 whatever pages. And there are really about eight or nine steps in design thinking, depending on 
whom you're talking to. I'm like, all right, there's no way uh, if I go out there and talk about the nine steps of the side thinking and follow me along people that anybody would even pretend to. So I was like, okay, I need to think that I'm talking to someone who's sitting in a church council and they're probably maybe retired and she's just got a lot of things to do, but she means really well and she wants to try. So bring it easy, bring it easy, Lorenzo. So we came up with three steps. I'm like, can we just compress all of it? So if you go to like, I was trained at Stanford on, on not at, I went to, I did not go to Stanford, but they had a little program on training for design things. So I don't want to like make it seem like I went to Stanford, but um, you know, if, don't go to them and say like, I learned from Lorenzo the three steps of design thinking because they'll tell you like, Lorenzo's crazy. So don't listen to him. There are more than three steps to design thing, but this is the way that it sort of works for us because it makes sense. It's also Trinitarian. So there we go. And that's what's in the book, by the way. My publisher will be happy that I'm holding up my book. Uh, so these are the three steps and I'm going to go through them real quick for you here. It is insights. It is ideas. And then you try. Fairly simple, right? Insights, ideas, and then you try them. And generally, though, when in the church, well-meaning people want to come up with new ways of doing things, we get, we generally begin at step number two, which is the ideas phase, right? Tell me, you, this has never happened to you either. Like, it was like, okay, we need to reach young people and people with more gray hair, right? Each day are getting more gray hair. We'll sit around the table and be like, ooh, ooh, how do we reach young people? I know, we should build... Uh, a skate park. Let's do a skate. Oh, yes. Kids, those youngins, they're always into skate parks, right? We should do a skate park. And so we go and we build a skate park and we spend $20,000 to build. And then it's like, oh, uh, so it turns out that there are no young people around us. We're, I live in Palm Springs, so it's a retirement community. So there are no young kids. So no one's going to be using the skate park. And also the kids aren't into skating anymore. So, <laughs> so there's that. So, and then we'd be like, well, this is why we don't try things. We just spent $20,000 on the skate park that nobody uses. Like, yeah, but do we do it the, the right way? And so what this encourages you to do is to find out information first. Find out like, what is our community made up of? Who are the people in our community who are most likely to come to church? If that's what the answer that you could also be looking like, should we be doing a social enterprise to raise money for the church? There's always data. And now with the internet, oh my goodness, can you just find data an overwhelming amount of data. So once you parse, parse through the data and you get actionable data, then you go to step number two, which is like, okay, now that we know that there are young people, but they're tend to be like really young. What, and what do we know really young people like in church? We, we, we get together and we're like, okay, how do we come up with ideas? And there are like a gazillion ways of coming up with ideas. In my book, I list four ways of coming up with ideas and you can do the, the traditional uh, where you're doing brainstorming or where you're doing mashups, where you there's a whole bunch of fun ways of coming up with ideas. And then, which we're pretty good at that, actually. Then the third part, which is just as important of trying. And it's not so much that, how do you try, right? It's fairly simple. You just go and try, go, go do it, right? But what you want to do is you want to come up with what's the minimum viable prototype. What is the easiest and cheapest way that we can try whether or not there's a there there before we build it? Before we go out and spend so much money. So I'll give you an idea of, of one of the, the experiments that didn't quite work, by the way. Two out of three experiments don't work. We'll talk about failure in just a second. But two out of three of them didn't work. But this one, I, I, I was like, I walked into a soul cycle. If you've ever seen them, there's spin gyms, right? There where people just get on the bicycles and they don't go anywhere. No, go figure. So, and I walked into this place and it was like darker and they had on the wall, it said like, find your soul. And they had candles that were lit. 
And I was like, oh, okay, this is starting to look a lot like a church. And then the, the instructor was like, hey, so there's no day but today. And this day was made for you. I'm like, you know, if you throw in a Jesus in there, this is a sermon. So I was like, hey, what if people are finding spirituality in group fitness classes? So we put them together. I said, why don't we do a Eucharist and a spinning class? Yeah, for the record, no, don't, don't, don't do that. That's, that's, that's a bad idea from the get-go. Someone could should have told me right from the get-go, like, yeah, that's not going to work. But Instead of going out there and like leasing the space and buying the bicycles and do hiring people, well, we rented out a spinning studio in one place for eight weeks. It cost us a couple hundred dollars for the hour with the instructor and the music. And then we advertised it on Facebook and we had a certain number of people sign up. Nobody showed up, but we still were able to follow up with them and say, like, why didn't you show up? It's like, turns out people who are already finding their spirituality with group fitness classes are already finding their spirituality with good fitness class. Like I basically started another church next to a church. It's like, oh yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. And when you look at it, so we didn't spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. We spent probably like 2,500 bucks to do this experiment all in, right? So you figure out what's the minimum viable prototype. So those are the three things. You come up with the insights, you do ideas, and then you go out and you try it in the minimum viable prototype. Now, I do want to talk to you just a second about failure. I mentioned that two out of three of our experiments don't work, and that's okay. We're talking today about faithful innovation. Innovation. Nobody ever said that we were going to like knock it out of the ballpark with all of them. But God calls us to be faithful and to keep trying to reach people and to keep trying to make disciples. And actually, it's a lot of fun. When you're not betting the house all the time, then it's much easier to be like, yeah, we can do that. That sounds like a lot of fun. Let's try it. If it doesn't work, hey. We have another way that doesn't work, but we'll keep trying, right? So just, it's about being into faithful innovation as you're doing that. And I just want to finish with one thing, because people are always, the, the anxiety that I hear out there is, especially post-COVID, people are saying, looks like about a third of people aren't coming back. Is it just because, especially people with young families, you know, they're just not coming back? Is it because there's no vaccines yet? Well, now there's vaccines for infants, but they're not giving them to them. So Will they ever come back? So people are really anxious about the number of people in churches. And I'm an Episcopal priest, and so I, and I'm a data guy, right? I literally just spoke about insights. So I went and I looked at the data because we're always talking about, like, okay, we need to get like hundreds of thousands of people and turn it into a mega church. And I'm like, okay, if you take the total number of Episcopalians in the country and then you subtract the number that we lost, this is from 2020, the last year that we actually have data from before, you know, before. So I looked at the data, and it turns out that if every congregation uh, just added 10 people per year, we would end, end, totally end the drop in numbers in churches, just 10 people a year. By the way, that's less than one person per month. That's 0.833 people per month. Please don't cut people up. Just go ahead and welcome them. If you actually get one person a month, you will not only end church decline, you will actually begin to grow as a as a denomination. So we don't, when we look at it, we're like, oh my God, we've got to grow the church. Like, all we got to do is get one new person per month to join us here. How can we do that? And then you begin with the process of a framework of like, how do we invite one more person per month in our community to form a relationship with us? Because we think this is important and it matters and it centers our lives. So that's sort of the thing you want to do. You want to begin with a, we call it the design question right in the process, but you want to begin with that. So it's, we sometimes make it harder than it is by thinking, oh, we got to grow the church. Like, no, we don't have to. First of all, it's God's church and God will take care of God's church. We're, we're not going to kill it. And as I remember a friend of mine, and I'll finish with this, Leanne, you can take it back. Uh, a friend of mine was being ordained 
and a, a really just beautiful older priest from the UK had come in to, to be the preacher. And she's, he's preaching a wonderful sermon about the, being called by God. And he turns to her and says, Mary, oh, Mary, go out and try with abandon because people much smarter than you have tried to kill the church and have been unable to do it. So you and trying good will never kill the church. So just go out and try. So that's the invitation. We need to be more faithful and just keep doing this work.